They're coming to get you, Barbara. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. The unburied dead are coming back to life seeking human victims. This week on a podcast from Beneath, it's Bloodbeat. Aaron, how's it going? I'm doing great. Cheers, everyone. Cheers to you. So, William, how you doing? Doing well. Uh, good to see you guys after such a long uh, pause. Oh, yeah, it's been a while. It's been since it, the... It's been a minute. October, uh, right? October? Our uh, Night of the Living Dead episode, right? Yeah, was that October? Or we did Hammer in October. Yeah. Uh, Night of the Living Dead was in December, but it's been a long time. Did you yes, have a good, it has. You had good holidays? So everything is... Oh, yeah. <laughs> everything yeah. Is just like it was before. <laughs> Yeah, Isn't that depressing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had a pandemic and nothing changed in our lives. No, um, no, everything's going good, man. I mean, holidays were good. Uh, everybody's healthy, you know, so it's all good. Oh, that's all you can ask for. I see you got mm-hmm. uh, Star Wars figures or Star Trek figures. Uh, this is a Captain, a Captain Kirk. Kirk. Okay. All right. And then these are... Uh... Two of my Ghostbusters figures. Oh, Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah I never yeah. would have guessed Ghostbusters from that distance. I'm extremely jealous of them. Yep. And then I was showing Aaron this earlier. I brought another prop with me. Oh, that's <laughs> good. Yes. That Ma- matches the theme of the movie. Yes. <laughs> well, if our discussions of the movie make you too depressed, you can commit harakiri. <laughs> that's what I'll do, yeah. <laughs> do the Japanese. <laughs> oh, All right, man. so 1983, Bloodbeat. Uh, Aaron, what do you think about this movie? Why do you have to go to me first? No, um, <laughs> I, I saw this a while back, and then I rewatched it last week, and it's a neat film. Um, I really like it. It's like you know, it's one of those cult classic films, and it just has some weird crap going on and uh, telepathy, everything. So it was down my, you know, right up my alley. So. A thumbs up. I mean, I really did dig this film. William, what did you, you think about it? Was this the first time you'd seen it? Had you seen it before? Or? No, I had seen it before. I, I actually, um, I first read about it on the Bleeding Skull website. Do you guys know about Bleeding Skull? Mm, no, I've so. never heard of that. That was a site that was popular a few years ago, and they covered cult movies and bad movies, you know, so-called bad movies. And yeah. the description of it was so intriguing, you know, when you start <laughs> talking about a woman having an orgasm while mentally uh seeing a samurai killing the, the neighbors i thought well that's something i should really seek out <laughs> yeah. but i i was surprised because when i look at the reviews and there are reviews on almost every horror movie website uh all the reviews seem to say basically the same thing which is it's not really a good movie but it's they like it it's endearing and it's uh, appealing in some way and i think probably the reason that i found it interesting and attractive is because uh, have you ever heard this term, uh, the Swedish term, huga? No. no. Uh, it, it's a term that refers to a sort of lifestyle uh, of of comfort. Uh, it's, uh, I guess, the translation in in English would be cozy. Uh, mm. It's like if you go to IKEA, you'll probably see a lot of mention of how to decorate your house to get the huga effect. And when I watched this movie, I thought this is really heavy on huga because it's all about this sort of comfortable setting, rural setting, 
sheepskin rugs and husky dogs and everybody's wearing comfortable clothes and it has a warm fam uh, uh, family uh, feeling to it, uh, which makes it kind of enjoyable, uh, even, even though it doesn't make it a lick of sense. And the plot is <laughs> nonsense. It looks like they just were making it up as they went along. And it, actually, I read that the director came up with the idea of the samurai because he saw a, the samurai armor in a pawn shop. And he thought, okay, you know, summarize, why not? Yeah, when I, when I was watching it again, I was like, somebody had a, somebody had the outfit and then they made a movie around it. Oh. I was like, that's the only, <laughs> that's the only yeah. way you end up with a samurai <laughs> ghost in a rural, what, Wisconsin hunting farm. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And actually, the same thing is true <laughs> with the music choices, right? I mean, there's some points in the movie where they, where they have Gregorian chant playing over this story about a Japanese samurai killing hunters in in rural wisconsin it just it's a complete it's like whatever we have the ability to use we throw it into pu the public domain wherever they can get out of the public domain that they mm -hmm. can just not have to pay anybody for what surprised me is they used common barana is that the name of that piece from uh, that was used just a few years earlier very famously in excalibur have you ever seen excalibur the King yes. movie? yeah and that you th that movie really was sort of like the spake Zarathustra in 2001 that was the like considered the theme from Excalibur so for them to be so nervous to use it here in this movie that's <laughs> uh, that's uh, you know they're taking some liberties there yeah but uh, but they, I mean the story also shows that sign of kind of being made up as they go went along and they use whatever resources they have that's not such a bad idea when you're making uh, a low-budget film and I guess you could say that the best aspects of this movie come from the fact that they are making use of the environment they were actually in, right? But the problem is that if they don't have a strong story, they're missing an opportunity. Night of the Living Dead, for example, also was a film that was shot in an existing location. They found a place and they made use of whatever resources they had, but they took the time to write an intelligent story before. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like you said, just uh, I guess around their atmosphere, kind of like My Bloody Valentine was done in a, a minor right. town. So they had the the resources. Hey, I'm going to go over here. Right. And like you said, I, I get what you're saying. Like this film is like, it doesn't make any sense. Here? <laughs> Even if you were to watch it repeatedly and take notes, you're not going to be able to figure it out because there isn't really any coherent story there. Uh, I, I, some stuff that's being said when they had those newsreel clips from World War II, which of course is the way all psychics remember yeah. <laughs> images of FDR, you know, at his desk and stuff like that. But if it was a Japanese soldier that's possessing him, why would he be dressed like a samurai? It might be a kamikaze, but kamikazes didn't wear samurai costumes. In World War II, getting into a, a, a plane with a samurai armor on, that would have been kind of constricting, I would think. <laughs> so that doesn't really make any sense. And why would it be in it possessing the, the, the girlfriend? She yeah. just showed up on the scene. What if she had this from what- I don't what know, the, my confusion was, so at the end of the movie, when she burns that picture, I'm thinking, okay, that was her as a kid. She, she already knew that one, like the mom. Like I'm, I think there was some kind of connection between them, well, <laughs> but I'm not for mom? sure. Yeah, we can't be sure. Well, isn't the mom psychic too? Yes, yeah. Apparently, the whole family was. Oh, the well, whole. Oh, as, okay. it, as it turns out, except for the dad, but he really wasn't the dad. He was, I guess, the <laughs> stepdad or wanted to be the stepdad. <laughs> well, so, you're. It might be an interesting idea to find out if that was their intention. That that picture that she's burning yeah. is her as a child, 
because it could just as easily be interpreted as that's a picture of the mother as a child. Oh, it could be that too, yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> because they also had the uh, another flashback whenever she cuts her finger on the sword right. and right. then it cuts the back to a little girl cutting yeah. out her nose at her. Is that the, who is this? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, taking that into account, it is possible that it is the, that she is the, the, the woman who's, what's the woman's name? Kathy, uh, the psychic yeah. woman. Yeah, it might might be that Sarah, the girlfriend, is supposed to be somehow related to them, but that doesn't really make much sense either. How many times does a kid bring his girlfriend home and it turns out that it's they're a lot lost <laughs> down here? Uh, it uh -huh. happens quite often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. that, that's how you met your wife, right? <laughs> down there at the family reunion. No, uh, <laughs> go ahead. What I liked about this movie, like I said, I mean, there's no storyline at all. But the acting was so bad that it was charm. It had like this weird charm to it. I even liked the fact that they accidentally filmed it in four by three and didn't realize they was doing that until like five days in the shooting. <laughs> well, I have a question about that because I know I heard that that's something that's commented on by all the reviewers that have mentioned this. And apparently it comes from the cinematographer. That he, he And he was a good cinematographer. We got to give him credit. Best thing about the picture is the photography, right? It looks very nice. Oh, yeah. yeah. Especially in the new print that just came out from uh, was it Synapse or uh, one of the who did, uh, who did put that out? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get it in the details. Yeah, we'll, 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 yeah. <laughs> to the internet. But the um, what were we talking about? Uh, Film shooting in four by three. Film shooting in four by three, right? The cinematographer claimed that he didn't know he was thought he was shooting it for television. But how could that be? I mean, he must have been a read a script. He knew that there would be scenes with. Women having orgasms. He thought that was being done for television. Right. Who's television? <laughs> what television is this? It's not, not going to be on ABC Family Hour. Yeah. I wouldn't think so. I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe, was, yeah. yeah, maybe cable TV, possibly. But the thing <laughs> of it is, when you're shooting on a video camera, uh, you have that option. At least you used to have that option with uh, standard definition cameras to switch back and forth between a four by three image and sort of a fake widescreen. Yeah. Uh, but on a film camera, and this is shot in 35 millimeter, films are very often shot full frame, four by three, and then the print is cropped or matted for release. So when he says that he thought it was a, it was supposed to be in four by three, I think what he means is that he, he didn't take into account that the composition was supposed to be eventually a widescreen. He thought it was meant to be now when you're shooting full screen and it's meant to be a wide a widescreen film it's going to be cropped you have to make sure that all the important elements of the picture are in that narrow band in the middle right so he might have forgot to do that and, and when you look at the movie you could see where that that's true it, there's it, it would be very difficult to crop this movie and make a widescreen version of it because you'd be cutting out people's heads but the funny thing is the print that i saw the one that's in the public domain uh, that's been floating around on YouTube all these years. There's a lot of shots where the boyfriend stands up and his head is cut off at the top. So, so I don't know what the fuck is going on. Well, well, was that called was that called Panavision? Whenever they would crop it down, but then they would actually move the film to like do. That was called Pan and Scan. Pan and, and Scan, they, yeah, right, yeah, that's yeah. right. And but that was, uh, that was always horrible. I hated those. <laughs> right. Well, that that's the reason actually why they shot feature films full screen four by three because then they would have the full image to put on TV and the broadcast TV market was very big, even back in the fifties and sixties, they wanted to get your movie on TV and they didn't want to do that pan and scan stuff because they knew how awful it looked. Right. So they would shoot it 
35 millimeter full, full screen and then crop it for theaters and then take the mat away when they put it on TV so you'd see the full frame. And sometimes if the guy who was shooting it wasn't paying close attention, in the full screen version, you'd see like microphones poking down from uh, above. Right. Yeah, I remember in the uh, Jack Nicholson's Wolf, there was a scene where it pans from him over to the other character, and it just looked out. It looked horrible. Oh, well, pan, um, pan and scan is always yeah. awful. But that's I did all, find. Oh, I'm sorry, William. I did find out vinegar syndrome. Oh, vinegar syndrome. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense. Uh, but uh, pan and scan is only necessary when they shoot the film actually in widescreen, anamorphic widescreen. Uh, that's when you have a lens that's actually giving you a widescreen image and you don't have any stuff on the top and the bottom that you, right. you can't take away the mat and have a full screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so then they have to do that sort of electronic moving the picture back and forth. And that always looks terrible. And that's one of the reasons why for so many years, for decades, really, you couldn't really appreciate movies like 2001 or Ben-Hur or Close Encounters. None of those movies look like anything on TV. Because if they were pan and scanned, you were only seeing like a tiny part of the picture. Yeah. And if they put them on letterbox, then it was like such a tiny little narrow band in the middle of your right. screen. Yeah. You know? and I, I, was watching, I, I was watching today. I was wondering, <laughs> I wonder if this is where Zack Snyder got his inspiration for his 4x3 Justice League that he recently really released. Is the, is the new release 4x3? Yep. Oh, yeah. On the HBO Max. I was like, oh, oh that's kind of weird. I still haven't seen it. That's four hours. <laughs> Four it's hours, good though. Right? It, it doesn't feel like it. They break it up into chapters. It, it's pretty good. Oh, it's, it's a lot better than the original. That makes it better. Well, it's kind of hard to imagine what advantage a movie like that would have in, in four by three. That's a mystery. Unless I'm not sure I've done it. Maybe some people are watching it on their smartphones. It would look better on, like, if you were holding your yeah, smartphone. Yeah, maybe. Like an Instagram, <laughs> yeah. Instagram movies. Is, <laughs> but that's that's weird. I hadn't heard that he had done that. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, the uh, photography is good. The picture is screwy and crazy. And there's all sorts of little things in it that struck me as being kind of uh, bizarre and the sort of mistakes that they make when things aren't properly planned out. Um, like, for instance, dialogue that doesn't really make sense. Like it, it made sense in the script, but when they came time to stage it, they didn't change the dialogue to suit the staging. So, like, for instance, all those times when you hear the guy at the beginning of the movie screaming, all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he screams all right like four times, even though it's not appropriate. For, yes. Like, the woman comes to the porch of the house. It's like the second scene in the movie. Yeah. She comes to the porch and she said, did you get anything? Right. And he says, all right. Yeah. Like, he's, <laughs> like he's just discovered that there's a dead deer in the back yeah. of his. Yeah. He just found out himself that he did kill one. Yeah. <laughs> One of those things. But the that scene too, you, you see the sort of sloppiness of the storytelling because this is a woman that's been living with a guy who's a very enthusiastic hunter, obviously. I mean, it's the sort of household where, where you come in for Christmas, the first thing they say is, look at our guns. Right? Yeah. So that's a hunter's household. And she's living with this guy all this time. And she comes to the door and says, did you catch anything? Meaning she expects to see a dead deer. And yet when she comes and looks in the, in the back of the truck, She's all like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> what did she expect to see? Did she expect yeah. it to be in a, in a gift wrap? Or, I mean, or, yeah. Already and, processed. <laughs> it's like they were, they were coming up with these ideas as they were writing the script, and they didn't realize that you can't have those moments in that scene. You have to establish earlier what her feelings about hunting are. Presumably, if she's going with a guy as a hunter, she's not going to be that upset about 
Hunt yeah. Him. I wonder if maybe she, she had, because she obviously has some kind of psychic ability. I wonder if she was feeling well, that's what, the, what the deer felt. And that was, you know, and of course she's not really telling. She He doesn't know that she has these abilities. Well, well now they, 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 they show that. That's what confuses me. It's like she shows up at this house and it just elevated it. Like she's always had this. Right. Like this is all a big, you know, surprise to her that she has this and, you know, doing everything. And I was like, she didn't know she had this shit before. Like it, it's just weird how, how yeah. they play that out. It just doesn't seem like they gave a, enough attention to, to writing the script. You got to write a, a backstory where that includes all that stuff that happened before the movie begins. You can't have all this stuff be a revelation once the film starts to everybody. And some of the characters like the son, he seems to know that his mother has these sort of strange visions and whatnot, or that she has some sort of supernatural power. The mother doesn't seem to be particularly reluctant to reveal to people when they ask. She says, oh, I don't want to trust her. I have a strange feeling about her. You know, that's the sort of thing you would hear from somebody who believes they have psychic power. But um, I get the feeling that it was a French director. His name was Zafafratis Zaffir or something. Yeah, uh, Fabrice. Yeah. Zafiratos. Fabrice uh, Zafiratos, yes. Um, I have a feeling that he's a Frenchman coming to Wisconsin, and he wanted to make some sort of commentary about American hunting life, rural Americans and their interest in hunting. Uh, and when the film started, I thought, well, this is going to be interesting, because normally when you see hunters in movies, they're movies that are made by usually East or West Coast liberals, and the hunters are always portrayed as you know, drooling maniacs or, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre type, you know, families. And this would be nice, right? At the beginning of the film, we're seeing something we normally don't see. We're seeing somebody hunting, right? I don't know anything about hunting. It's interesting to see. But then they sort of throw that away, right? Because they, the next hunting scene, and I, like I say, I'm not a hunter. I don't know anything about hunting. But this doesn't make sense to you. Uh, a friend comes along with their party, his girlfriend, Ted's mm -hmm. girlfriend. And they have like two or three other people in the party is rifles and, and bows and arrows. They hand the girl a gun and she says, I don't hunt or I can't hunt. And they still force the gun on her. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but if I was a hunter and there was somebody who's there who's telling me I don't hunt, I don't know how to use a gun, I wouldn't give her a gun. <laughs> and I certainly wouldn't yeah. have her behind me. They're all walking in single file. Well, that's the thing. If someone's not used to holding a gun, it's it's kind of like you don't just hand some like, hey, here it is. And they're like, whoa, you know, I don't. Yeah, I'm not going to hand that person a gun. They're going to accidentally fire that thing off and hit you and or I someone else. Do you guys have any experience with hunting? I've, I've never been like a lot. But I've grown up around it, and I can tell you what everything they do when was wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, especially that business with the single file. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. they're walking so that the arrows and the guns of the person behind you are pointing right at your ass. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. It, <laughs> and the guy in front, right. the guy in front is making these sudden stops, like shh. You know, well, it, it's not somebody with a gun pressed against his spine practically, and he's making these sudden stops, and then they're going under wire fences. Yeah. You know what I mean? With the people with their guns still pointed, right? That just shows that he had no one that knew how to hunt. Terry, or, or guys, did y'all even see, I, I don't remember seeing an orange anything. Did y'all see an orange vest, um, hat? No. Okay, Terry, you know, I mean, hunters. You have to wear orange. 
you wear orange because <laughs> deer the the deer are colorblind. Everybody else, you know, can see color. So I mean, the the orange isn't going to scare off the deer. So yeah, that that's another thing. If you're out hunting like that, you know, first off, like you said, they're not walking behind you, know, like straight behind you, and the guns pointed at the person in front of them. Uh, but orange is like key. Like you have to have a bright color, either neon green or bright orange. I would say maybe they were on private property and there was no one else there. I'll give them you that. Know, it turns know. out there was though. Right? Yeah. yeah. A body turns up and the first question that the cop asks is, are you sure this isn't that, uh, what, 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 what do they call uh, folks that hunt illegally? Uh, oh, poacher. uh, poachers. Poacher? Yeah. So, yeah. Are you sure this isn't that poacher? I mean, if I was that cop, exactly. I, would, I would give this guy a little more of a grilling, you know, a guy shows up dead on his property when they're out hunting, you know, I don't know yeah. if that wound was supposed to be a shotgun wound. I guess it wasn't, but you know, but, but the other thing that struck me, and again, I don't know anything about hunting, but you got four people, two with rifles and two with cross, uh, bows and arrows, and they're all trying to get the same deer. Is that uh, no, I, that's the way it looked like they were that, doing, but I seen at least two deer running around. I don't know. Oh, what, there were two deer. Okay. okay. Yeah, well, but it, I'm not for sure who was shooting at what or what their plan was. The thing about it is, when you go hunting, like bow hunters go with other bow hunters. Like everybody's, hey, we got bows and arrows, you know, and they're good at it. They go bow hunting and they can, you know, do the thing. I have no idea about bow hunting. All I know is, I've been around people when they hunt with a gun. And there ain't no one with a bow around. Like right. that's a seem... whole different animal. Like it's like mixed media, you know. Yeah. One yeah. way or the other, we'll get that deer. You know, yeah. arrows <laughs> or bullets. We're gonna bring that fucking deer like down. Like a witch hunt for a deer. Like <laughs> like a mob for a deer. And yeah, they shouldn't. Uh, I mean, and they got to give the deer some chance, right? I mean, four yeah, people I mean... all shooting at the same deer, and the deer is sort of gambling mm. so quickly that the camera actually has to track to follow it. And yet all the hunters have a steady bead on oh, yeah. one place. They don't move at all. You know, that doesn't yeah. seem very likely either. Mm. No, but, we're, you're right. You're spot on. <laughs> but I guess we're it, it's picky, common right? sense. You know, it, you've never been hunting. It's just common sense. It's common sense. That's the yeah. Way. And that's probably why, even if you're from France and even if you're not a hunter, it probably would have been, you know, maybe they hunt like that in France. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Well, we won't start on the French. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> no offense to anybody in the French that are French. Yeah, another another thing yeah. that felt like kind of weird too was that you know we're because we're talking about the I'm a, the poacher, I guess. I'm assuming he one. I don't know who shot him. We don't know how he died. But um, the cop when he's sitting in his car, you know, he's of course you know the girl just ran into this dead guy and they're all freaking out, and the cop just like goes from that immediately to like you know. Have a Merry Christmas. And yeah, Merry Christmas. <laughs> well, that, it's they, weird. They, just, it was out of place. It's like this whole movie's out of place. <laughs> the other thing is that there's this, this lack of consistency in how people react to things. Like, for instance, the first time a dead body shows up, they call the police, right? Mm -hmm. The next time, a dead body, a, a guy actually practically launches himself into their house and, and, and a neighbor, and he's dead. And the guy, Greg, we see him trying to sort of fold the body into the back of his truck. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't think even in Wisconsin that the police yeah. allow you to sort of drop off dead bodies. Yeah. At the police station. <laughs> hey, I found this. Here's yeah. another one. 
And why is the samurai killing all these strange people? I mean, why would you be going if the, if there's something going on in this house that the samurai has some grudge against uh, the mother or the or the Sarah or whoever? Why are they picking on bums camping in the woods? Why are they going? And it looks like the neighbors are quite a distance from from the from them. Yeah, why? he had a, he had a drive there after he had a drive. Right, yeah. So why would the samurai ghost be going all the way out there? I mean, I'm assuming we know that. Uh, Sarah isn't uh, taking the form of the samurai all along because she's in bed having her fun. And what uh -huh. a what an orgasmic creature she is! Boy, oh boy! <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> a, lot, a lot of women probably not want to know what the secret there is. Yeah, <laughs> I think most of her dialogue in the movie is ooh ah ooh ah. I know. <laughs> when I first saw the the movie, I was looking at a very bad print on YouTube, and it was so dark. I just assumed that she had her hand down between her legs and she was masturbating. But I see now in the new clean print uh, that she actually has both hands up and uh, holding the bed close to her chest. Yeah. Uh, so she is just orgasming from the thrill of seeing these uh, fat neighbors in ratty bath <laughs> bathrobes <laughs> being <laughs> perforated being by a samurai while they make their tang for mm -hmm. the evening. Uh, another just a little bit of uh, lack of continuity they work in the husky dog which helps with the huga feel right you want to have mm -hmm. your husky dog around fluffy animal and it looks like a very ha handsome creature but it seems to be pretty much uh, a complete waste of space when it comes to being a watchdog because uh, the woman is in the kitchen making the tang and she gets killed her husband the dog doesn't hear that the do the husband gets up out of the waterbed leaves the dog there, goes into the kitchen, finds the woman dead on the floor, lets out one of those classic horror movie, oh my God, <laughs> the dog still doesn't come out. Right? <laughs> and the samurai goes after the, the guy in dead. the bathroom. <laughs> he must be, yes, they, they got a, a dog that was uh, airing a bed. <laughs> and then he chases the, the guy in the bathroom through the house, still no dog. And the guy launches himself through <laughs> the window which is a bad choice, it seems to me. I mean, if I was being chased by anybody in my own house, I think I'd be able to find a way out without jumping yeah. through the window. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a movie thing. Like, people think that jumping through yeah. the windows. Oh, exciting. Uh, Go through the window. Head first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. head first. <laughs> but uh, the dog never shows up again. And in fact, since he's tucking the neighbor's body, the guy who actually came to the house, since he's tucking that in the back of his pickup truck, uh, the, presumably the wife is still laying dead on the kitchen floor with the tang. Yeah. <laughs> this film is like, filled with products. Uh, yeah, so. it, it it's like it wasn't like you said, it's not thought through like no one ever would do that unless they killed the person and are trying to hide the body. They wouldn't yes. just oh let me just right. pick him up and throw him I mean the guy's dead. I mean you're not gonna do anything well, by I doing mean, that. In most states, I would think it's actually a crime to disturb oh, yeah. you find a dead body that's obviously been murdered, you're not allowed to sort of pick it up and carry it around with you. Uh, <laughs> but that's also you could see that they didn't want to let Greg drive off at that point because he needs to be around for the next scene. So they contrive yeah. to have the brand or you know, the car or truck break down at that point, right? So he has to stay around. Uh so there's all these little contrivances why he's putting the body in the back of the van at all when they could have just forgotten about the body. I mean, they forgot about the wife. Why not forget yeah. about this guy as well? Just have him stacked like cordwood in, in, in the yeah. backyard. Yeah. 
or um, just leave and then we just assume that they're just there where they're laying you yeah know, i mean from the filmmaker's point of view they could have just ignored that just make believe yeah. that you know that's an issue that was settled but of course the other and i think this is really the jump the shark moment when they had this tremendous poltergeist activity in the house mm. and and everything at the windows are going up and down the doors are slamming it's really the scene from Close Encounters where the aliens are coming for the little kid and they have everything spinning and flying around. After all of that is over, they all go back to business as usual. So yeah. <laughs> nobody leaves the house. The guy finally gets into the bedroom with his girlfriend because they, during the uh, psychic seizure or whatever it was, there's blue light that's keeping him out, right? So he finally gets in to the bedroom and rather than making sure that his girlfriend is okay and consoling her, he drops trow and hops into Gives bed. A bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hasn't she had enough? I would have thought so. <laughs> Must be exhausted. The whole movie. <laughs> but uh, that's kind of ridiculous because, and again, it's another thing that's it's a question of budget, right? You can't leave the house because you don't have any other place to shoot the movie. So the people, no matter what happens in the movie, you have to keep the people in the house, right? But it really yeah. doesn't make much sense. And they take Greg, who got hit in the head with a, a can of cream corn or something, I don't know what it is, they, they uh, put him to bed, and, and a strange little thing, he, he's a guy with a full beard and fairly long hair, he's got a smooth chest and a shaved armpit. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, well, well, he can't be a swimmer if he has hairy chest, I don't know. Well, female impersonator, maybe he's working maybe. at the local oh. club. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> the beard is going to be a problem for that, though. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I also noticed that they were nice enough to put a little bandage on his head, but they put the tape over his hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <but it's... laughs> as far as I know, that doesn't work. Yeah. All I know is when someone gets a concussion, that's the best thing. Put them down to go to sleep. Probably. Yes. That's <laughs> to make sure that you finish them off completely. <laughs> Now the the scenes with like the <clears throat> the mom character, <clears throat> like whenever she was doing her painting or just zoning out, having these weird conversations, to me that felt like a different movie. Yeah. I felt like we were watching like some kind of student art film <laughs> with her, and then the rest of the movie was, you know, just people didn't know what they were doing trying to throw a movie together. <laughs> well, that painting business and the and Sarah's objection to having the paintings in the room as if. The mother can see her through the paintings that doesn't really go anywhere either i mean somebody is psychic and they can see in their mind what's going on why would they need paintings to act as their eyes in other people's rooms and isn't that kind of creepy that the right. paintings would yeah. be she'd be able to see her her son's bedroom activity yes well, and, and that's another thing the son knows kind of knows his mom's psychic and he just, just still tries to get some anyway yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's right doesn't he likes an audience yeah, i guess <laughs> but the uh the business with the when she's painting and she suddenly one hand is shaking like this and the other and the paint or she puts the paintbrush in the other hand right and she's done, and that's like automatic writing right the painting is yeah. she's being seized by some spirit so that would suggest that she's like a, a medium who is in touch with some sort of spirit on a regular basis right and the spirit is talking to her or painting through her uh, how that figures into the thing she says later when she sounds like she's the power, right? She's saying, I'm not ready to give up yet and all this, so don't hurt my, you can't hurt my family. I don't know who she's talking to. Is she, is she talking to the samurai? 
Yeah, that's what know. I that's what I got out of it. Well, why would she even know? I mean, unless she's familiar with that spirit, why would she be so familiar with it? Yeah, it don't make sense. Yeah, because there was parts <laughs> where there was parts where she acted like she knew more than she was saying, right. and I just they just never got to that part. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know or, what the deal was. They crafted mysterious dialogue that made her sound like she had knowledge, but the person who was writing it didn't really have the knowledge that she supposedly had. Right. <laughs> well, this, this was written by the director. Yes. And he the said, only, he the claimed, only, this is the only thing he's ever written. There was another yeah. movie, but I can't remember what it was. Well, he claimed that the name Bloodbeat comes from the sound that he heard in his head while he was taking drugs during the writing and production of the film his accelerated wow. heartbeat i don't know what it would, it would have been taking to give him an accelerated heartbeat that would be loud enough for him to hear his uh, blood pressure his, his heartbeat in his head yeah. but uh, that's what he claims so that's huh. where we get the title from yeah they actually they actually had that in the in the film at the beginning whenever they're starting to go hunting you hear i guess the after heartbeat. they get rid of the gun you can hear like, you know, I guess it's her heartbeat or something. Well, that's a great, the uh, it's always a great standby for horror movies when you start to hear a heartbeat on the soundtrack. Yeah. You know, <laughs> something's <laughs> going to happen. So that's, that's probably, uh, he, he trusted his, his intuition there and, and, and I guess it worked out. There's a lot of problems with the sound. Hey, I got a question for you guys. You know, yeah. that scene when Greg comes, he's had an argument with Kathy. Is it Kathy? Yes. Yeah. He's kind of, come back into the living room and he announces that he's had an argument with her as if it's needed it needed to be said and then he goes and he puts headphones on he picks up a device and you thought it was you thought it was a cell phone i couldn't figure out what it was because i know in 1983 they wouldn't have had a smartphone i had to rewind it twice i was like does he what is this but i believe it was a remote for the high-five unit i don't know it could have been yeah (laughs) i actually had to rewind it i was like was that a phone It's it's uh, also when they go, and this is something that maybe it's a rural, uh, if you have a, a farmhouse, maybe this is a more common thing. But there's that scene where they come upstairs and they find Sarah on the floor after she's found the armor in the, in the little box at the foot of the bed. Uh, and the sound on the scene is awful because I guess they either didn't have the microphones close enough to the actors, so they had to boost the volume, the levels had to be brought up, and you can hear this horrible hiss. And in the middle ground, there in the floor, there's a like a lit grill. And I, I, I'm not familiar with that. What is that? Is that? It's probably like, like a probably a gas furnace. Yeah. Is it, it right in the center of the floor? Yeah. Really? Wow. So yeah, it'd be like, yeah, it'd be like the pilot light would be on all the time, and then when the heat kicks on, it lights the rest of the gas. That would explain it. Yeah, I thought maybe that was a vent that went actually downstairs to the room downstairs, but that seems to be rather an odd thing to have in the bedroom. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, okay, so it's a heating <laughs> Now I yeah. understand. So the hiss didn't come from, well, maybe the hiss did come from that. Maybe that's what the it problem It could have been. Yeah. Yeah, there's another scene whenever, uh, what was our main character, the boy? Tom, Ted, Ted. Is it Ted or Tom? Yeah, t- yeah, Ted. Whenever he goes into the room after Sarah burns the picture, mm-hmm. and it's like they didn't figure re- out to record sound at all because you couldn't really you could you could see his mouth moving but he wasn't talking. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming they added sound effects over top of it. But yeah, he was talking, but there was no audio. So I'm assuming there's a lot of yeah. They probably had a lot of uh, audio issues and just probably didn't have 
the time to go back and ADR anything in this movie. If, if yeah, that, that's likely because the, uh, the looping probably costs a lot, quite a lot of money to get rent a studio and have all the actors back. Uh, so they probably figured, hey, just you know, whatever. Put yes. some, put some more classical music over yeah, it. And it'll be fun. But there's audio problems all through the film right at the beginning when he, he's doing his all right thing near the truck and she's all the way over by the house and it sounds strange it sounds like the microphones are on the ground because you can hear their footsteps as they come and go but their dialogue sounds kind of hollow or distant uh, and it gets louder as they get closer to the truck which sort of gives away where the microphone might have been uh, all of these things though i gotta say if the movie's story was better you probably wouldn't you nobody would be picking at it no it's just because the story is so you know half-assed that you begin to pick at all the little technical problems <laughs> continuity problems that uh, i feel like that scene where he has no audio i just feel like maybe there was a lot of plot points that we missed <laughs> that may have yeah. helped the story along a little <laughs> that bit. small yeah, part yeah <laughs> it's possible uh the uh i mean there, there should have been more dialogue because if two people who didn't realize they had psychic powers suddenly have they have these bolts of electricity coming out of their hands you would think they would have something they would ask some questions what's happening sure. yeah where'd you come from yeah but they seem to automatically take to it like ducks to water right it's as soon as they figure out that they can do this they're doing that shaking thing and uh, you know which looks, looks like jazz hands like yeah. you're doing a cabaret or something um and the uh the sister too she jumps in and i you know, uh, sister is kind of a strange character too because uh, he seems to spend more of his time with his sister than his I wife. couldn't figure out who was yeah her boyfriend girlfriend who was sisters. I didn't know no, that was a sister. I couldn't keep everything straight with him. He spends the whole middle of the movie playing Monopoly with his sister and his cat, uh, and you know that has to be the longest Monopoly game <laughs> ever recorded. <laughs> but. Uh, but still, I think that that stuff, that sort of scenes of them sort of just relaxing in the living room, that's what makes the film feel so cozy and, and warm and human. And it's, it's, it sort of takes the edge off of the stupidity of the rest of the film. You know? Well, and I think it would have been cool, like she was in the room and then when she opens that, that chest to find the samurai armor and then she starts acting weird and the mom is like, you know, oh no, you, you didn't open that, did you? Because... I got that from somewhere or right. I can't believe I left it out and it has an evil spirit, you know, a samurai spirit in there, of, right. you know, whatever the name they want to come up with. That's what I was like, you know, come on, give, give me something that you right. can't just find this, especially like you said, in Wisconsin, in a cabin, you know, <laughs> give a story of the suit and why there's a killer samurai, which is cool. I'm, you know hands down that's awesome yeah but you know she's like okay you you if you open this you're attached to it now and you're gonna get weird feelings because you're gonna be able to see no nothing the mom just you know sits there catatonic and then like oh you know it just looks like oh you know i i see something and yeah. that that really hurts it i think yeah. well that sort of uh opaque you know impossible to figure out story maybe one of the reasons why the film is still being talked about right i mean yes. i can imagine the director saying oh i saw 2001 a space odyssey and i couldn't figure that out so i guess it's okay now to do yeah, a movie do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and and in a way it works because people spend all their time trying to figure out 
what the fuck is this? You know, and the, the those very old-fashioned '80s style uh, glowing effects. Oh yeah, there's something charming about that too. It's almost like watching stop-motion animation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I, I, it does take you back when you see that. You're like, oh, that, you got to see that on Ghostbusters, I right? Mean, yes, you know. But uh, or well, I was thinking when I see that any stuff like that, I always think that's the sort of stuff they used to do all the time on the original Star Trek. You know, oh yeah, that too. Yeah. The, the ray guns or any kind of force field. It was always like that little sparkly <laughs> thing, you know, with lines going out, almost like a comic book. You know, that's what you would see yeah. in like a Jack Kirby comic with the little lines in the game. Yeah, I would energy. just freeze the frame and draw on the cell, draw like you know, yeah. light on that one cell, and that would be your uh, special effect. Right. Yeah, <clears throat> and, and it's easy, it's cheap, and I guess it's effective to a certain extent. You know? Yeah, and but, also for the time this came out, and that's what I appreciate about these films the time that this came out and to have all that, you know, and we're still talking about, like you said, but the little effects that they have, I mean, it just works for this movie. Yeah. And I, I, I love stuff like that. That's what, that's what makes me like the film as well as also question it, you know? So actually it could have been a slightly better film and maybe it wouldn't have been so likable. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a good thing. It isn't any better. Yeah. <laughs> what I, what I think helped it too was the, um, them filming on location in a yes. real, you know, farmhouse. The cars were, you know, you just felt like, okay, yeah, that that cop car is a definitely a small town sheriff car. Right. And I, was that the same car that had the Christmas decorations hanging up in it? Did you guys notice that there was a car that had like? No, I didn't notice that. Well, I I think one of the great things about movies from this particular time, like the uh, mid '60s to the mid '80s was that they were, they tended to be done, you know, low budget movies, tended to be done in real places and they, they gain so much because they become like little time capsules. They automatically pick up all the authenticity of shooting in a real place. And when you see this new print from Vinegar Syndrome and you see all the detail in the set, like little uh, dust on the windowsills and, and there's a one scene where the guy is being attacked in the, in the kitchen with the, the canned goods and uh, on the wall near his head, there's a nail sticking in, in the wall. It's the sort of thing a uh, set designer would. If yeah, not going to put that there. He wouldn't do that, right? He put a picture there, you know. Yeah. But just to put a nail there. And yet, I've been in plenty of little working class homes, and there's always some nail in the wall where something fell down, or you know, and they never bothered to take a nail out. It was last yeah, year's calendar, and you haven't last year's calendar. calendar right? Yes, exactly. Right? <laughs> all those things make it feel so real, and the fact that you can actually sit there and list all the products that you see on the shelf, you know, the Quaker Oats and the and the and I guess the one that I liked best was the. Uh, Butternut coffee? Yeah, it's all that. <laughs> a a Coca-Cola product, believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> Butternut coffee. Never heard of that one. But yeah, me neither. Yeah, another uh, thing that helps it too, and I, I love this in movies when I can watch a movie and the setting, like if I can watch it, like when I watch this movie and they go in that house and I just felt, okay, that house, I'm getting chills right now because I know it's cold in that house. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. like I said, it's only probably only got only one room furnace in it that's trying to heat the whole place. Right. And it just gives you that, you know, you just, it feels real. I mean, that's what really helped it out. And they help by adding additional atmosphere by making it, uh, they, by setting it at Christmas. Right. Uh, I mean, my feeling is every movie should be set at Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or Halloween, one of the two. Because it's so easy to make in a really evocative uh, shot if you have things like Christmas decorations and the Christmas lights 
you know, that can be, that can really create emotion in people without even, you know, you don't have, even have to do anything and people start to feel something, you know, they respond to that sort of imagery. So they were wise to do it at Christmas. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I mean, there, I don't know if you guys have ever determined which bad movie you really think is the worst or the best bad movie. Have you ever had a discussion like that? No. Or, We've no, talked no. about some uh, bad, ma mainly Neil Breen films, if, <laughs> if you know who Neil Breen is. Neil Breen is the, is that the guy that did the, he's the rock and roll guy? No, no, uh, he's a, he's a director. Oh, he's a no, I don't but he, yeah, you should definitely look him up and <laughs> check out some of his stuff because he he just has a bunch of money and wanted to be a director and just makes yeah, he's he like wants. a real estate guy yeah. or something, <laughs> and he yeah. makes these movies. Yeah, and, I think uh, I might know the guy. He doesn't do horror films, right? He does no, like, no, 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 no. They're strange apocalyptic action movies. Yeah, the, yeah some kind of like Ed. Yeah, if that's what you want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, the for me. It's a tricky thing nowadays because, like for instance, you got, I think you guys talked about the guy from the Misfits who made that movie. Oh, oh yeah, God, dancing. Yes. yes. <laughs> and uh, I guess Billy, and I guess you two guys as well, you found that to be pretty bad, right? Oh, yeah, Veronica. Yeah. Veronica, yeah. Veronica <clears throat> that was, that was something. And See, I, I like, I like Glenn Danzig as an artist, you know, musical wise. Right. Uh, and what's funny is, even though I didn't like Veronica, he's coming out with some sort of vampire western, and I'm so like, that. I gotta see this. <laughs> Maybe he can redeem himself. I don't know, but you know, I'm such a fan of his that you know, you right. gotta you, see you where gotta, this goes, and then it goes bad. But it was interesting to see the uh, how negatively I think he, uh, Billy was particularly. Uh, you know, harsh on the film. You really yeah. dislike it. <laughs> Worst film I've ever seen. And I don't understand why it is that these recent films, these recent bad movies, and there's a shitload of them, and some of my movies may be among them, they're bad movies, but nobody really has any affection for them. I can tell you exactly what it is, and I'll use Veronica as an example, is that movie had no charm. There was no. nothing about it, it that zero. I could set. You can't, there's nothing enjoyable. You, it was you just can tell horrible. You you can tell that this was just like, here, yeah, I got money, put my name on it because people know me, and whatever you know. It there was no, you could tell like he said, uh, Carrie said it best. I mean, you can just tell. Yeah, yeah. It seems to have also this uh, almost feels like a porno film, like uh, yeah. you know, well, you some, have porn actresses in it, so. porn actresses, and <laughs> and it has that sort of aesthetic that. You know, I mean, if you're if you're looking for porn, of course, that's what you want to see. Yeah, there you go. But the sort of charm, as you put it, the, the charm that you want to find in these low-budget movies, which is even present in Tommy Wiseau's film Maroon. Right. You know, awful film. The guy doesn't know, you know, how to write a story or how to direct or how to act. But still, it's kind of endearing, you know. The, it it I, is. Yeah. And, well, you could know. you could tell that he when the, when it comes to Tommy Wiseau or even uh, Neil Breen when we talk about him, you can tell that they have a passion for it, right? Mm, yes. And that's all they don't care if they're making a million dollar blockbuster Hollywood movie. They just you know you can tell that they have a passion for wanting just to make a movie. Right. So when you when you when you have that behind the film, it doesn't matter how bad it is, you can enjoy it. Right. And people but with the dancing with the dancing movie, it was just. He had, you could just, he just wanted to be a director. He just wants to say, I'm a director and there's nothing. He just, yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> well, maybe he was thinking he would follow in the steps of, uh, what's his name? The guy. Rob Zombie. 
Rob Zombie, yeah. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, he failed miserably on that one. Yeah, and <laughs> that's the thing about Rob Zombie films. Uh, whenever you watch those, you can you can see his inspiration. Yes, yes, a lot of it. I mean, a lot of it takes the chainsaw massacre and House of a Thousand Corpses. Right. But uh, you know, and he tried to venture out, and I know a lot of people don't like his Halloweens, but I I did dig his take on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy, like you said, his heart. If Billy hates him, <laughs> but. I actually he's a tough he's a tough critic really. He yeah. is. <laughs> but that's what we need. I like that. There's yin and yang, you know. And mm-hmm. I really do enjoy those movies. And you know, it, I I really wish I'd like Veronica but I went in with an open mind like this is gonna be great. And it just wasn't <laughs> it, it, it would make life easier if the people that you admire when they did something like that, it turned out to be something you could praise. Because you don't want to be mean spirited, or you don't want to be critical of something from somebody that you who you think is talented in, in, in other areas. Yeah. And another thing, William, he he has yes, it's his name. He's attached to it, and it was a comic book first. Oh, that's right. You would yeah. think that you know he had a little bit more of a but you. Not a lot of money, but a little bit more of a budget to go into some of the effects that he wanted to do. Right. And it was just, it, it just fell flat. I don't know if it was a friend of his that owned a, you know, special effects studio. Uh, you know, especially the guy with the the spider, the, the <laughs> rapey Spider-Man, I think we called him that. You know, the extra arms. You could tell they're just, it's like, are you kidding me? You know. Any wow. puppeteering, something, you know, it didn't have to be CGI because I know that stuff's expensive. But that's that's where I, I guess a lot of people feel. They're like, what the hell were you thinking, dude? <laughs> well, also might have been, I didn't see the film. Is it done in a campy style or is it? No, it, you can tell that he was trying to make a serious, that, and that's what bothered me is he was trying to make a serious horror movie. Yeah. Yeah, you really do have a, have to have some sense of humor. I mean, I'm not really crazy these about these movies that, really camp it up and make the whole thing ridiculous because I think to myself, well, I really want to escape into the story and I don't want it to be so absurd that, you know, escape is, is impossible. But at the same time, if you're doing stuff and especially if you're doing a lot of elaborate special effects, you have to be self-aware to some extent. You have to, you know, wink at the audience a little bit. Uh, otherwise yeah. you end up looking ridiculous, you know, and the audience feels sorry for you. I wonder, both of you fellows that have some interest in, making your own films or getting into media oh yes i would love to yeah we got some ideas (laughs) do you think that when you watch these bad films that a part of you says this is encouraging because somebody who's clearly inferior to me actually managed to make a movie and get it released so that's a good sign means i have some possibility right i believe it does a little i believe it does a little bit yeah i mean that's the way i feel I always feel oh, I could do better than this, you know. Yeah. This, this I mean, guy's movies yeah, all over the place. If if Erotica get can get on Shutter, I should be able to make something <laughs> that can show up on Shutter. <laughs> it it seems I... like now it's like Andy Warhol's line about everybody being famous for fifteen minutes. Everybody's going to have a show on Shutter or yeah. or on <laughs> yeah, TV yeah. for fifteen minutes. <clears throat> I, I think when I see these movies, especially you know types of these. You, I take inspiration from I, I'm I'm more of that guy. Like I, I like them to be a little bit weird and I can tell that this is, you know, not going anywhere, but man, is it interesting. 
you know, samurai suit or, you know, street trash with all the craziness that is. I love that movie. Spookies, which is a very interesting story. Um, that that, that whole movie, how that got put together yeah. is so freaking crazy. And it just, it, it just works for some reason. It just fucking works. It's a, it's a, it's actually the story of how the movie was made is more thrilling than the story yeah. that's in the film. Exactly. But, uh, but and, that has uh, actually some pretty impressive special effects. So they have that in, in that movie, right? Yeah, the yeah, exactly. And I always, I've always been drawn to that type of film. I'm always like, man, that's just, and then I'm also in awe at some of the stuff that they create knowing that, wow, how did they, how did they come up with that? You know, that looked pretty cool. I, you know, good on them. That's, you know, they, they try to make it realistic, but then it also, you know, with me, that that's that's just how I see these films. They don't have to be Oscar worthy, but if you get my attention somehow and like, wow, that's a weird story or man, the practical effects on that, that was pretty badass. The story was shit, but the practical effects, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, it looks like they spent a large part of their budget on the uh, effects work and the, yeah, the, uh, I guess that at some point they were like two, two. It sort of split. There were two teams. One, uh, somebody took over. The producer took over, uh, and and added all the comedy stuff with the farting creatures and all that. But Spookies is a pretty good example because uh, that does have a sense of place and 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 sort of atmosphere. But even a film like Manos, The Hands of Fate, which doesn't have any good effects in it at yeah. all. <laughs> I mean, that, to me, that's the perfect bad movie. And I know yeah. for a long time after it resurfaced, because it was sort of a lost film for many years, and then it resurfaced, I guess, when Mystery Science, uh, Science Theater found it. And then it became a big thing. And for a long time, it was like number one worst film on the IMDb, which is a position it richly deserves, in my opinion. But there's That means the it beat out Plan 9, right? It did, yes. Yeah. Wow. Plan 9 looks like Austin Wells. Yeah. Manos is one of those perfect... And I just went back and I watched... That's another film that was restored. I don't know if you've seen the restored version of it. They found uh, the original negatives, I guess, amazingly, after all these years. And somebody spent a couple of years and raised money on, kick, on Kickstarter to restore it. And it looks very good. But of course, the original material, uh, the photography is so bad to begin with that it can only look so good. No, that was yeah, what? That was a the, the the guy that made it. He, he was he like a car salesman and he was a fertilizer. Just, fertilizer. Yeah, and, and even just, more appropriate. Right? And yeah. yeah, and made <laughs> made this movie on a bet, right? Like, oh, I can make a movie. Right. All right, here you go, do it. And then uh, yeah, <laughs> here it is. Sterling Siliphant, who was the Oscar winning, he would become the Oscar winning screenwriter. He's the guy that uh, wrote the screenplay for I guess in the heat of the night. Mm -hmm. He oh, happened wow. to be down. Uh, I think it was uh, Manos was shot in Texas, wasn't it? Wasn't that a Texas one? I, I'm not sure. I'm not. Sure. Anyway, he was down. Silphant uh, was down in that area. He was meeting this fellow for some reason. And you're right. He just he he was so arrogant. He thought, I'm going to tell this Hollywood screenwriter that I could do. You know what you're doing ain't that hard. I could do it. And he proved that, of course, it's impossible. <laughs> right. He really didn't have the ability to do what Sterling Siliphant and, and other Hollywood folks were doing. At that time, it was particularly difficult because it's not like now with video. You know, what you see was what you get. You shoot something, yeah. it's immediately available. Back then, he was working with a 16-millimeter camera that could only hold three minutes of film at a time. And 
it didn't record sync sound, so everything had to be done in post. Uh, and it didn't seem like the people who were operating the camera knew how to focus it properly. Mm -hmm. It didn't seem like they knew how to compose a shot because they got people you know, looking this way and looking that way. Sometimes in the same scene, people are suddenly jumping across the room. Between <laughs> yeah. and, I mean, it's yeah. a perfect mess. And uh, and even the idea of it that, what is the idea? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a guy who has a cloak with a hand on it, painted on it, and he has a, a nasty looking dog. And in his basement or in the backyard or in another room, we're not really quite <laughs> sure what it is. He has all these women who are wearing girdles and negligees that are fighting with each other all the time. That's the plot. Yep. Yeah. You know? and, and, and I believe was now the half the movie was just them getting there, right? The driving yes, scene. So just interminable. <laughs> yes, with the car radio. No going. audio. I yeah. Did, <laughs> I do want to say, yes, William, you are right. It was shot in uh, El Paso, Texas. El Paso. That's where the uh, insurance and fertilizer salesman was from. There you and, go. Uh, oh, he yeah. was both. You yeah, so he trip. was both. You got to make a road and, trip, Aaron. Go visit that, these places. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Uh, no, well, I, what I see like in the 60s and 70s films that I watch, especially in the 60s, they really like the, like you were saying, a lot of it's just driving to or getting to the destination. Yes. I don't understand that way of, I, I guess thinking because about it that. fills up it fills up yeah screen time yeah imagine how long <laughs> imagine how long Lord of the Rings would be if you took out all the walking why didn't they just fly one of the big owls to the <laughs> yeah they always have a musical track and then you see the guy driving the car and all that which yes. the the coolest movie I think to come out of that was uh w when was a uh, vanishing point made was that 70s or was that, that yeah was that was 70s, 70s. yeah, yeah. That's one of my favorite movies, and it's all about driving. But Actually, he also that, encounters shit. Eighties? Huh? Is that eighties? Or is it seventies? There, no, because it was a remake, right? Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking. There's a remake, but that was with Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, oh, and so that, that was, was like in 1996, seven. I'm talking about the original Vanishing Point, which was an awesome uh, movie wow. with a lot of driving. Yeah, well, I can imagine that it must be very. Uh, uh, consoling to a producer on a low-budget film to think I can fill up a quarter of the movie with just shots of cars pulling up to places yeah. and driving away. Yeah. <laughs> some, some some of the movies that John Agar did, those little low-budget horror movies, there's one that I always forget the name of. It's about some sort of horrible, crappy-looking space monster, and he's a sheriff of the town, and uh, he has to find it before it kills another. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I can't think of the name of it. I mean, really, it's got to be a quarter of the film. It's just people driving up and driving away, you know. And, and, and what I really like is when they do the, you know, the, the real magnificence of a scene where somebody drives up, gets out of their car, walks up the stoop, yeah. rings the doorbell. <laughs> I, I say, boy, that's wonderful. That's like 10 minutes of the movie. Is, <laughs> we're, we're zipping right through the script, you know. Uh, and that sort of thing went on all the time. And, and you always would see in the credits, like uh, cars supplied by, so they got the cars for free and it gave them something to shoot. And it does add production value, you know? Yeah, but I, I mean, it kind of helps too if you have something else going on, like maybe some really good dialogue going on yeah. as, or, you know, kind of Tarantino style, you know? Right. Like, yeah, you know, just 
Pulp Fiction. Oh, and they're just in the car and then they're walking upstairs to the apartment. But they're having this conversation going the whole time. You're not sitting there going, all right, just hurry up and get up there. <laughs> <laughs> you want to stay with these guys the whole time. Well, well, part of it is the, uh, you know, the old line about the, the journey is, you know, the, the pleasure or the, the pleasure is in the journey. In the process of getting to the point, since they really don't have a point to most of these stories anyway, really the only thing that we can enjoy in these films are those little glimpses of the way life was back then, the cars and the, and the streets. And if you like, um, I watched a movie the other day called Godspell. Have you ever heard of Godspell? I don't. I know it was so. a play, wasn't it? It was a big Broadway show, ran for a long time, and, and it's constantly being revived. It's basically the story of the Gospels uh, told by flower children and hippies. Uh, and in the movie, oh, wow. in the movie, they did a brilliant thing. They did it all on the streets of New York. And, uh, and it's wow. for somebody who grew up and, you know, raised and, 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 uh, in New York, it's like, this is so wonderful. I can go back and see what it looks like in the, in the <laughs> 70s. Everything. They even have a scene where the folks are dancing on the roof of the World Trade Center before it was finished. Hmm. And that's, that puts a kind wow. of a sad tone on the thing. But uh, they're dancing on, uh, on the signs in Times Square. They're dancing in Central Park. And it's really a, a nice thing to see because it, it, it creates that feeling of nostalgia. So I guess some of these low-budget horror movies also serve that purpose. And if somebody is from El Paso, I guess, seeing, you know, it, their local town up on the screen, <laughs> even if it's in well, a terrible and, movie. And, yeah, and that is cool because, you know, you even have uh, the place that's called the gas station where, you know, that's the gas station they stopped at at, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now right. they sell barbecue. And, I mean, it's a neat little, you know, place to go. And it is nostalgic, you know, just to go and check these places out. And I think the original house where uh, they lived, I think that got moved off of a property and put on another one. But it's the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre house. Mm. I think you can even stay the night in it. I mean, I think, <laughs> you know, Book but, uh, it, it is neat to see that. And I, I know what you're saying. You're driving around like, oh, man, you know, I remember seeing that in that movie or if I watch a movie that's made in Texas, I can see where it's at. And I'm like, you know what? That's West Texas right there. Or right. that's, you know, East or whatever. And if it's something from long ago, uh, particularly given the hardships that we've suffered over the past couple of years, all the craziness and uncertainty in the world, to be able to go back and see the way things were decades ago and to realize that you were there and when you were there, you had the same feelings you have now that the world is coming to an end and everybody's stressed out and anxious. And now you look back and you say, Oh, those were such innocent times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody was so happy back then, but we weren't, we were all miserable. It just looks better in retrospect. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the more things, uh, you know, change, the more they stay the same, you know, that's, that's why there's that saying. <laughs> yes, yes. Manos, the hands of fate hasn't reached the point yet. Where anybody's visiting the locations, yeah. or putting up <laughs> you hotels. Know what? And... Challenge accepted. Now I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. do it. You got something to do. Well, I know they did that with the mall for uh, for Dawn of the Dead, right? Yeah, and everybody goes become... there. I, I got to make it up there before they shut it whole, the whole thing down. Are they shutting it down? Mm -hmm. uh, I figure it's going to eventually. That's what I'm saying. I got to try to get up there. Malls aren't, you know, they're not going to last in the, no. in the current environment. <laughs> they're going to be. It'll be a zombie by the time I get up there. Oh, <laughs> the man. mall will be a zombie. Uh, <laughs> So well, in, in, yeah, 1984, if you guys want some extra credit watching, 
1984 yeah. movie came out called Ninja Three. Has nothing to do with the first yeah, two Ninja Dominion? movies. Domination. Oh, domination. It's about an evil ninja attempts to avenge his death from beyond the grave by possessing an innocent woman's body. Mm, I'm wondering yes. if this was a ripoff of <laughs> Bloodbeat. Well, Wait, when, go ahead. You wouldn't think that the idea was such such a clever one that anybody would want to steal it, but <laughs> it's such a it's such a weird idea that you can't imagine someone else also had that idea independently. I just it, like, you know, that'd be a good idea to rip off that Ninja Three, <laughs> but put it in Wisconsin. There Let's you go. do that. Well, well, Ninja, Ninja Custom is easier. Out, yeah, Ninja Three came out after Bloodbeat. Oh, oh, so they, oh, I get what you yeah. <laughs> I thought you said they stole it. So they stole it from Bloodbeat. The director of Bloodbeat sprung for a whole samurai costume and a sword, and the folks at Ninja 3, they just had to get some cheap ninja costume. Yeah, yeah there you go. The Halloween shop. <laughs> Where's the guy that made that crappy samurai movie? Well, I hope people enjoy making these movies because at least that's something, right? Somebody got some pleasure out of it, you know? And I guess this movie is giving pleasure to some people, you know? Yeah. It's kind of a nice, relaxing thing to watch. I would certainly watch this before any of the crap that shows up on the Sci-Fi Channel. You know, those yeah. <laughs> giant crocodile or giant, you know, dinosaur crocodile or whatever the fuck they are, yeah. shark crocodile dinosaur. Um, that stuff leaves me cold. Yeah, I, I just stumbled upon the movie. It just it showed up on Shutter one day. I was like, "Well, let me watch this," and I was like, oh, "I really enjoyed it." And of course, I watched it again for the second time today, and I would definitely watch it again. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a part of me that feels that it's too bad in a way because they were so close. You know, if they just put a little more thought into it, they could have had something great. And and of course, when you watch other, I don't know, Phantasm is really in the same budget range, but it has some of the similar aspects. I mean, it was done a fairly low budget. And I, I thought when I was watching that scene with the with the stuff flying across the kitchen in Bloodbeat, that yeah. they must have seen Phantasm too, because that's the same special effect shot that they had in Phantasm with the silver sphere going yeah, right. across the screen. Uh, it looks better with the silver sphere than it does with yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> cream corn or whatever they're throwing at the guy. But um, I mean, Phantasm is something that really is filled with fun stuff, and it's it's a, a delightful movie. And it's a movie you don't feel embarrassed about speaking highly of. Yeah. this one, you always have to sort of. It, yeah, it's a bad movie, but I kind of liked it. You know, it's like a guilty yeah. pleasure. <laughs> uh, it it it's like you said, man. It's just a fun little, you know. Hey, I ain't doing anything, and hopefully, whoever listens to this or watches the video, they check it out because it is a fun little. I guess if you have a bad movie night, you know, and you're just hanging yeah. out with people, but you know, definitely check this one. Make it part of the list because you'll love it for that. Yeah, it's, not, <laughs> it's, it's not offensive certainly it's not oh, particularly no. annoying or irritating it's just it's uh something that'd be nice to have on you know at christmas or halloween there you go yeah <laughs> well it, you know what to touch on that I, I'm, I'm glad you said that William, because usually you find a character you're like you know there's not really a, a character that you get annoyed with you're right not really no yeah. I mean, I could have done without everybody screaming each other's names all the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that That's a crutch, I think, that's really more the actors. Thing. Yeah. I have a feeling that the actors are asked to improvise, and the only thing they can think of to say is to keep repeating the name of the other character. There you go. But the one guy is screaming, Dolly, 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 Dolly. And, oh, God, please make it stop. Yeah, the girl that played Dolly, I'm watching the whole time. I was like, is this, I kept thinking it was the same girl from Little House on the Prairie. That played the blonde sister, and I was like, "That's got to be her." And I looked her up. No, it's not her. This is, only, this is the only movie she's ever done. Well, she's good looking. She had nice eyes, and nice teeth, which counts for a lot. 
And uh, she wasn't much of an actress, but she probably could have had a career if she wanted to lose a couple of pounds, maybe. Give I up just wonder if it was. I just wonder if it was this movie is why she doesn't do anything else. <laughs> well, I'm, <laughs> I'm generally. I, I know that there are probably some of the actors that I've worked with that would have said, "I would have had a career if I hadn't been in your movie." But <laughs> I, I, I don't think that that's. I don't think that that probably works that way. I mean, no. there's so many bad horror movies that had. People oh in them that went on to become famous, you know, DiCaprio and Johnny Depp, and uh, well, it's probably a whole squad. Even Roy Scheider, long before he did uh, Jaws, um, before he did French Connection, he did a low budget horror movie called Castle of the Dead or Castle of the Living Dead or something like that. Oh, it was wow. sh shot up in, in Long Island or in New Jersey or someplace like that. And it's a, like a gothic melodrama. It's really terrible, and he's terrible in it. Yeah, uh, it was done by the guy that directed Horror of Potty Beach. That's the level that we're talking about. <laughs> oh, oh shit. This was his follow-up to Horror of Potty Beach. And Roy Scheider's career certainly didn't suffer from being in it. Because when people come to cast a movie, the only thing that they're interested in is whether or not you've been in another movie. They don't care. They're not going to go and watch all the fucking movies you've done, right? Yeah. Uh, so you have a credit on your on your resume. That's all that matters. Yeah, I would say it has to. I would say it's not. I wouldn't say the quality of the movie. I would say it was the experience the actor or actress had that probably makes them think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to go do that again. Or no, I'm never doing that again. Well, I get the impression from these pictures that are regional films, and I think it's true of Bloodbeat. They worked with people who actually were living in that location. At least mm -hmm. some of them. Uh, so they're folks that, that really weren't professional actors. They may have been actors on the level of like community theater, but I don't think any of them really expected to go on and become movie stars. Good thing. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think only, I think the only one that did was uh, Terry Brown, who played Gary. Oh, I is think, that right? I think he went on. Uh, I'd have to open it back up, Rob. I think he went on and done some other films. Oh. Um, well, he yeah, wasn't yeah, he was in the copycat princess diaries oh great yeah yeah yeah. he, he went on he's uh acted not, until 2004. not a, not major roles i assume no yeah. he plays like neighbor cop two <laughs> cop uh, anytime a, anybody has to shout he played <laughs> yeah. a tree and my samurai so that's a weird <laughs> anytime anytime they need somebody to scream all right yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> And he comes pre-shaved. So, yeah. you know. There you go. <laughs> now, here's an interesting fact for you, uh, Aaron, because I know that, like myself, you're a fan of Red Letter Media. And oh, yes. And the worst. And yes. you know who Jay is on there, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. This is one of his favorite films. And I guess, according to this, he is planning on doing a remake of yeah. this movie. <laughs> really? Which makes me question: Is it in public? Is it in the public domain? Can I go ahead and try to remake it? <laughs> Should yeah. I? I mean, I got the sword, so yeah, that's right. You're you're way well ahead of, of uh, everybody. Oh, and I, I want the part in it so I can go. All right, <laughs> give me that. I'll, I'll. You got a movie. You got a movie being made. You're prepared to shave. Yeah, <laughs> I have to stay shaved for the job I do now. No, I'll right? shave for Carrie as well. <laughs> if well, I just shave my armpits, I will do it for the part. Well, I assume when he said that he was being facetious because I can't believe and he seems like a pretty savvy guy. I can't believe he'd actually put money into a remake of Bloodbeat because yeah. <laughs> the only reason it's really charming is because it's so uh, unaware of its flaws. Right? I mean, uh, there, there are actually two movies that were sequels to Manos uh, and they're terrible. You know, not, I don't yeah. mean to 
I don't want to be rude to the people that made them because I'm sure it was done in good fun and with the best intentions. But you can't make a sequel or a remake to something that is only known and is only famous because it's not really very good. Because what are you going to do? Are you going to intentionally make a bad movie? So it looks Same thing happened to uh, Birdemic. Birdemic. Yeah, they were making this awesome movie and it turns out to be bad. So then they they tried to act like, oh, we, we knew we were making a bad movie. Now we're going to make a second one and we're purposely going to make it bad. And they failed miserably at it because it just they were trying too hard to make a bad movie. Right. And you nobody wants to see that. You have to accidentally make Birdemic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it's, you got to accidentally make Blood Beat. You have yeah, to accidentally. That's the charm uh, of this Stars movie. have to align, man. <laughs> that's why I enjoy this movie because I knew that they were seriously making a movie. <laughs> and they tried their damnedest and they yeah. turned out they an okay close. picture. <laughs> yeah, they came close. Uh, Samurai Cop is another one. Uh, I, I don't really know yeah. what to make of that film. I, I don't think it's a good film. It's hilarious in some parts because it is so awful. But then they do a sequel, and they got Tommy Wiseau to appear in the sequel. And what are we supposed to make of that? Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's they're just like, oh, well, people expect it to be bad. It's like, no, not really. That's what gave it, that's what gave it its charm. Right. You know? Only, did you ever hear the story about... Uh, when they were doing the premiere of Manos, they mm -hmm. actually rented a theater in in El Paso, I guess, and they, it was a big thing because it had been shot in town. There was a lot of publicity in the newspapers, and they couldn't afford more than one limousine. So what he what the guy did, the, the guy who the fertilizer salesman, he rented the one limousine and he had it go around the corner several times, drop off. <laughs> <laughs> And then they all went in to watch the show, and of course, as the movie was playing, and the you know, the attitude of the audience began to change, they were all sort of slinking down, you know, in their seat and moving towards the exit. And that's the thing that we always forget is that for a lot of people, the idea of being in a really awful movie that's not such a fun thing, you know. They really had their heart set on being in something good. They didn't want to be in something that's going to embarrass them. Um, that was the point of that documentary about, is it Trolls 2? Yes, yeah, Trolls 2, yeah. 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 That's a really sad documentary because you can see that there are people who really took the craft seriously, like the, the woman that plays the mother in that film. And now she's like a recluse and she's taking care of her own mother, I guess, is suffering from dementia. And it's very sad because she's still talking about all her dreams and her aspirations and all her, you know, aesthetic philosophy. And yet, the only thing really that she has on her credits and in her credits is this terrible movie. You know, that's it. And it's also sad to see the director who uh, apparently is angered that people think it's a bad movie. You know, he's not willing to get into the swing of things uh, and accept that everybody likes this movie because it's so awful. He's insisting yeah. that it is a good movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, that's the thing you, you don't, everybody has an opinion. Everybody's a critic. You don't let something like that, you know, get you down. You just say, hey, I'm going to plow through this. You know what? Okay, you didn't like it. Fine. It's not mm -hmm. going to be for everyone. I didn't make it for everyone. I know my audience. And for, you know, for someone, and I love what you said before. You're like, not to put anything down because these people had fun making this movie. Sure. It, it's probably most terrible thing ever, but you take that and you learn from it. And if you want to do it again, you just jump to the next thing. To just give up after someone puts you down, then, I mean, you're going to stay down. You need well, to use I, that. 
I can tell you that if anybody ever told me that theaters were selling out all over town because people wanted to go and laugh at my movie, I would say, <laughs> happy days are here again. Yeah. If you like the movie and if you're giving me your money, what do, what do I care what you think about it? You know, the important thing is to make enough on a project so you can go on and make another one and then maybe prove the critics wrong. Yeah. But to, to be angry because the film is a success because it's bad, that doesn't seem to me to make any hey, sense. Like you said, money's money. <laughs> People are lining up. And don't they, correct me if I'm wrong, don't they have like this show every year? <laughs> like, don't they have a big showing of this in that town that it was shot in? Or Well, the, the, the dentist, the uh, dental hygienist or whatever he is, who seems yeah. like a very nice guy, who plays the father in that Troll 2 movie, uh, he was actually very enthusiastic. He seemed like a, a very uh, open-minded person. Uh, but he made the mistake of thinking that the folks that live in his community would be impressed to hear that he was in one of the worst movies ever made. <laughs> He's going around and telling these little old ladies at the grocery store, I was in one of the worst movies ever made. And you can see the expression on their faces. What the fuck are you telling me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and apparently he did do screenings of the movie at, in his hometown. And it didn't go over too well from, from the documentary, at least from what we see. In the yeah. Movie. And then he started to sour on the whole thing because he actually jumped in with both feet. And he started to attend conventions in New York. And the film wasn't really getting the sort of attention that people weren't coming to the table because it really isn't the sort of thing you can do conventions about i don't think you know a, a little like midnight show thing that works you know people will show up for that they'll be lined up around the block for that but to actually uh, ask people to come in a convention to your table and uh, pay you for an autograph that's really asking a lot so that didn't go over so well and then he sort of soured on the whole thing and he went back to being a dental hygienist but i really felt kind of sad when i saw that movie because you know we make fun of these films it's so easy to do yeah, you forget sometimes that the, some people really put their heart into this. And, uh, you always think about the actors because they're just there for, let's say, you're only on set for, you know, half the she, you know, half of what they're filming, right. and then you're gone. You go into something else, and then two, three months later, all your movies out, and you go watch, and you're like, oh my god, right. the hell is this piece of shit? <laughs> you know, because yeah. they weren't involved <laughs> in the editing or the sound design, and it's just like, and then but there they are, their name, you know. Right. On the face, more than anything. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like that's who that's who I feel bad for. Well, that happened with the room as well, right? I mean, all these people that, and I really don't know what they were thinking, because it's hard for me to believe that anybody stood on that set and read that script and listened to this guy who was their director, Tommy Wiseau, who looks like the sort of zombie Willem Dafoe, you know. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I'm sure he's a nice guy. Anyway. Uh, People actually stood on that set, listened to him give directions, and read that script and read that dialogue, and they thought they were had some chance of being in a good movie. Yeah, <laughs> well, you have to watch uh, the Disaster Artist. I haven't seen that yet, but I have yeah, it on my list. You have to watch that. Too. That that gave me really good insight into it. Oh yeah, that was a fun. Yeah, was really that's good. a fun movie. Yeah. I I loved it. Well, well, it's, it just goes to show how easy it is to make something bad. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that. It actually goes to show how hot it is to make something, even something that's bad is hot. You know, that's what's surprising. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, yeah, Blood Beat, it's, it's one for the books. <laughs> yes. Now, do Mark you, it down. <laughs> do you know, like, why the director never really done much after this? Or 
Well, it seems pretty obvious. <laughs> well, well, I didn't know if it was just this. I mean, if it was, you know, he didn't go back to France and make other movies or. Well, his father know, apparently was a, was a French filmmaker who apparently was held in fairly high regard. And he actually financed or uh, helped to finish the film and put up the money to finish the film. So maybe when the film was finished, dad had a little talk with his son and said, yeah, I don't think you're going to cut up. <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> but back then it was kind of a cutthroat business, right? Because it's not like now where we have all these other oh, markets, man. right? You can sell your film on streaming, you can sell it on DVD. And, but back then it was like theater. Uh, if it didn't, it wasn't booked into theaters and it didn't, if it didn't get an VHS release, I guess it did briefly get a VHS release. I guess that's the print that we've been looking at all these years. Mm -hmm. But it didn't, apparently didn't get any uh, theater release, not, not, nothing in the United States of any significance. And it didn't get any broadcast TV play. Uh, so when you have a film that doesn't get any money back, I guess that probably puts your career, you know, in a holding pattern at least. Maybe yeah. now he's making money from this new release of the, I hope he's making money from the release of the Blu-ray. Maybe that'll reinvigorate his career. Maybe he's, he'll be back. Maybe I hope. Husky Dog Productions. Yeah. Is he, <laughs> yeah. he could definitely be a stuntman because he was the guy who jumped out of the window. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, he, was, he doubled for the actor. Well, I, <laughs> so. I, I respect that. He didn't want to ask yeah. his actors to do something he wouldn't do. You yeah. think I was real glass, or you think they actually had somebody make a sugar pain? Well, I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> I just I just figured, uh, hey, we can't really. We're out here in the middle of nowhere. I'm sure there's nobody that knows how to make sugar glass, so let's just jump to an actual paint well, glass. <laughs> probably would be tricky. Well, I was just watching yeah. this documentary they made about the Blade Runner. You know the scene in Blade Runner where Joanna Cassidy jumps through the glass when she's being shot by uh, Harrison Ford? Yep. Apparently that was done fairly late in the production. They were running out of money. They were rushing to get it done, and they only had one sheet of glass, and they only had a certain amount of time to shoot the scene. And it, they got a stunt woman to do it, and they didn't have the time to get a proper wig. And Joanna Cassidy is in this documentary saying, I can't believe they put that on the screen, that horrible wig. Why couldn't they get a decent wig? But it was all a question of time. And they couldn't use a, just a regular person because apparently it's dangerous to jump even through a candy glass or whatever they call sugar glass. It's dangerous because pieces of it can come off and cut you as you're passing through it. So I hope that the, this guy was smart enough. Because, you know, it's also the stuff... Uh, stuff that's around. I mean, it's, if it's a plate glass window, then you're just jumping through glass. I, I don't know if in, in this case, I think there was a, like a, 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 you know, the sash. Yeah, the, yeah, the frame. So that would all have to be replaced with like balsa wood that would yeah. break away and all that sort of stuff. So I hope that they that, that whole thing was rigged up properly. But he's still alive, so I guess it didn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> turned out. Yeah, <laughs> has a couple of scars on his face. I, um. <laughs> It would be easy, I think, when you have uh, all that glass, even if it's sugar glass, it would be easy to get, you know, dinged up pretty badly. Yeah. Especially if you're going to end up landing in it. Right? All the glass breaks and it goes out in front of you, all the fake glass, and then you land in a big hum uh, heap on top of it. So I imagine you probably could get bloodied up pretty badly. Probably could. It's probably why they had to cover, you know, kept a robe and his hat on the whole time. Right. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, his, the actor's robe slips later and... Not not a pretty sight to see that. Yeah, it's <laughs> the first time I've ever seen anybody like laying in bed with their hat on. <laughs> <laughs> That's not. What, a are you judging? Thing That's what I do. 
that might have been one of those instances where the French guy was sort of making a little joke about dumb Americans. There you go. It could have been it. Nicely with ball caps on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Aaron, do you recommend everybody seek this movie out and watch it? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Especially if you like these types of films. Uh, have a bad movie night. Sit there and, and make that part of the, Put it on the list. Definitely. Well, if you're going to watch this movie, you're going to have a bad movie night no matter what. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, make it a planned one. No. It's not a conscious decision, really. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you like Christmas movies, Christmas yeah. theme movies with Christmas trees and Christmas lights, you like husky dogs, you like... Uh, deer hunting. Deer hunting, yes. <laughs> Get some shot of, of the an animals cavorting in the woods. You got a uh, lady in her bathrobe making tang. Uh, what else? Yeah. Samurai uh, armor? Orgasmic woman flailing all over, a naked woman flailing all over the bed. Who, who wouldn't like that? Yeah. <laughs> so it's got everything, really. I'm surprised it wasn't a bigger hit. Yeah. No. <laughs> like, I'm just, I mean, I know, like I said, I didn't, I never heard of it until Shudder. I'd actually seen Ninja 3 before this one. I was like, oh, this seems oddly familiar. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm I'm wondering now that if it's, that it's on Shutter and I don't know how big I don't know how big Shutter is I don't know a lot of people that have it, but uh, I just wonder now with like you said what video uh, Vinegar Syndrome is doing a re-release. Yeah. I wonder if that'll maybe maybe this episode also will help. This will do it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sky's the limit. I now. think so. But no, no one so. else has done any videos or podcasts about this movie yet. So. I know. Isn't that weird? <laughs> Well, I, I think mean, there might be a few, here. actually. Uh, it's, if you look hard enough, I think you'll okay, find Okay, well, the best yeah. ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got a little competition out there. Yeah. It's but, hard to be humble. <laughs> well, it's a handsome-looking release, too. I mean, the print is terrific. And, it is. It, and it's got a nice box art, and, uh, you know. Now, see, I noticed the one I watched on Shutter. a couple of the scenes were, like, extra dark and grainy, and you could tell it wasn't. I'm just wondering if... Well, the apparently, shutter, if the shutter version is a different one than what you guys watched on Tubi. Well, the uh, the vinegar syndrome print apparently had some damage to it, and you can see some speckling in some scenes. But at the at the end, at least, a very last shot was lost. So they had to take the shot uh, of the two of them walking away from the house, and they go the camera pans to a tree, and the credits start to roll. That's from the the I guess the VHS print. Uh, but but it's kind of kind of cool because you immediately see the contrast. You say, "Oh, thank goodness we <laughs> thank goodness we were watching this better print," you know. And at the end, the credits are so screwed up, I could barely make them out. I kept thinking, "Hamster number two, what is hamster number two? <laughs> hunter number two? Yeah. Hamsters? That's what this movie is lacking. We need more hamsters in this movie. More hamsters. Yeah, I agree." Plenty of yeah. hygge, though. No hamsters, plenty of <laughs> This is definitely one of the movies where, just like all the other movies I've stumbled upon, I'm going to end up, I'm going to get a t-shirt, and I'm going to try to find, I'm going to get the, the DVD, Blu-ray. Oh, hell yeah. Get. I'm going to definitely track it. I'm going to, i got to own it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's probably going to be a limited release. I don't imagine yeah. that they're turning out 10,000 copies. Of yeah. It, so. I'm sure I can find it in a budget bin somewhere in Walmart. You guys have Walmart out there, out here yeah. in New York. No Walmarts. No Walmarts no, in New York. No place to buy DVDs. Uh, yeah, uh, some some like drugstores have a couple of you know a few items, but nothing like Walmart. It looks like they still have full rows of, uh, of DVDs. Oh yeah, rows. we got an entire oh, entertainment yeah. section. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, New York, no more of that. That's all gone. Oh, no. mm -hmm. Wow. 
strictly Amazon for New Yorkers, I guess. Well, don't you have like a little, uh, I guess, what are they, the CD exchanges? Like they have DVDs and all, no stores like that around? When I was uh, a younger man, it was like a routine thing. Like in the 90s, every Wednesday or Friday, you could go from uptown Manhattan all the way down to uh, lower Manhattan on the east side and the west side. Every two blocks, there was a Blockbuster or a Virgin Megastore or a Tower Records or a, uh, a Hollywood video or some place that was selling used DVDs or new DVDs. Now they're all gone. Tower is closed. Virgin is closed. Uh, Kim's video, I think, is still hanging on. That's one of the big places to get like cult movies, but they're fast, greatly diminished. Uh, and uh, the local stores, like the mom and pop video stores, they're completely gone. And the places like Best Buy, they still have like a few DVDs, but it's nothing like it used to be, you know? Yeah. I mean, hmm. it used to be that, like in Barnes and Noble, I used to work for Barnes and Noble, we had a whole floor for DVDs, you know? And uh, at the peak of the sales of DVDs, that was what keep, was keeping some of these stores open. You know, the DVDs were very hot at one time. Uh, oh, yeah. More, more so than CDs, because CDs were the first thing to get knocked down by digital, digital media. Everybody was getting them. What was the uh, Napster or whatever? Yeah, Napster. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody was able to download <laughs> stuff. And DVDs held on because you couldn't do that with movies at the time. Now, of course, you can. Yeah. Well, and I see VHS is making a comeback too. I mean, a lot. Of, yeah. So physical media, I think, is making a comeback because I, I guess there's collectors out there. It's just cool to have it in your hands. Like, oh man, this you know this it's is just, part of my collection. It's a, nostalgia, it's a nostalgic thing. It is. It is. Well, but I that's what I prefer. You know. I, well, I would love to see it come back, uh, but I, I have a feeling it's always going to be kind of a, a fringe group that's yeah. interesting. <laughs> Like yeah. LPs, they keep saying LPs are coming back. And yeah, they did come back to the extent that they are available now, but it's just a certain number of titles and it's only a few people that are really buying them. They're buying them as sort of novelty items, you know. Yeah, have them. true. Yeah, I noticed uh, whenever Rob Zombie's last album came out, he released it on CD. And of course, it, now it comes in the long cardboard box like they used to. Right. Oh, yeah. And I want to say... <laughs> The band Ghost, they released uh, an eight-track. Oh boy! Really? So, yeah. Holy <laughs> so they crap! Had, like, an eight That's track. awesome. It was just limited numbers, but you could buy them. And yeah, it's hard like, to believe cool that anybody one. still has an eight-track player. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> well, there's a lot of I, I watch a lot of like YouTube videos where people have players, and uh, I guess people are still producing some of the. I was like, man, I wish I could like. Put a couple of our episodes on an eight track it'd be kind of cool to have <laughs> yeah that would be fun to have, <laughs> yes. sure. uh, the picture for physical media is not very bright though i mean uh samsung just uh, i guess it was a year or so ago they announced they weren't going to be making uh blu-ray players anymore right uh, and i just moved up to blu-ray you know i'm a latecomer and as soon as i get my blu-ray player from samsung they say we're not making those anymore <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh it looks like uh, all the companies are sort of pulling back. I know I don't know if you guys heard this story about, it was just a rumor, but there was a story that Warner was going to completely give up on physical media. Yeah, I heard that, and I heard, I think, I guess Disney was going to do that also. Yeah. Hey, that was like their big thing, though. That was their thing of, like, 
limited time get your ponies out of the vault go buy them uh, yeah. and we're going back in and then the Disney vault <laughs> that was like they that. always made a bunch of money that way I don't know why they don't do that again and the power of that approach to marketing the business about putting stuff in the vault still has an effect today when you see people saying oh my VHS tapes of Disney films they're worth a fortune you know, yeah <laughs> they're not worth anything you know they're they're, they're yeah. worse than worthless right because they made so many of them how could it possibly be yeah valuable? exactly you can't, you can't go to a garage sale without seeing a copy of 2000 of Beauty and the Beast and uh, uh, yeah. all dogs go to heaven right all this <laughs> so those things are probably never going to be viral rarity has to be a part of of value of something if yeah. everybody has it it's not going to be of any value. i mean some people like me we just finished getting rid of that shit. you know the last thing yeah. we want to do is go out and buy it back again yeah. <laughs> I, don't know, I still like the physical media though i do too I, I, I did buy a copy of jurassic park a used blu-ray of it and i was surprised to see how bad the transfer was um, yeah on the the blu-ray blu-ray yeah i thought when i was buying this that this is going to be, you know, they can't get better than this. And it looks like it was a very, uh, you know, sloppy transfer. There's a tremendous amount of grain in the picture. And it's bad for a movie like this because a lot of it is CGI. So the actors are all grainy as all hell. And then the dinosaurs are all completely smooth. Yeah. <laughs> I see they put out another version on Blu-ray. I guess it's on 4K. And apparently they've changed it all again. They've darkened the picture and they've uh, done all sorts of things to it. As a matter of fact, it's extraordinary. There's a video on YouTube where the guy goes through the whole movie and shows you all the changes they make. And I think this is a sign for the future. All these movies that are being now made now that have like 75% CGI, all these superhero movies, these movies are going to be constantly changing in the years ahead. Oh, yeah. Every few years, they're going to go back and say, hey, the state of the art is improved. Let's go back and tinker. Let's put this character in and take that character out. We don't own the rights to him anymore. You know, all this sort of stuff is in the future. And that's nuts. You know, I mean, that's, I, that, to me, that started with George Lucas. George Lucas, he yes. he changed Star Wars and pissed yes. everybody off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's, if no you point in it. There's no point in it. I hated it. I don't know if you saw me ranting on Facebook earlier today. Uh, no. Oh, about the, the reviews, about? the review for Star Wars. Right. I just, uh, I mean, I don't normally do that business about celebrating the fourth uh, Star Wars Day. Oh, yeah. May the fourth. Yeah. But I saw a review from Variety from 1977 when it came out. And it was just a terrific review. And as soon as I saw it, I that sort of anger in me that welled up that you can't get the original version of the film, you know. And you have to seek out a unauthorized fan-made version in order to see what yeah, the film where they like pieced it. together like laser disc and, and they did a terrific job I don't oh know yeah that that, guy, yeah i can't remember his name but yeah he done a if i could fantastic. get that that'd be great yeah and they ha actually he just upgraded the whole thing to blu-ray the first three movies at least so but that's really sad that somebody like lucas would be so blind that he can't realize what damage he's doing to the reputation of that series you know Hey, he's made his money hand over fist. He's well, it's just like it's hard do to what shame. you want. <laughs> hard to shame a multi-billionaire, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what made what made it worse for me was he was a big proponent back when Turner wanted to colorize movies. He was one of the ones that came out and said, "No, you're right. you're destroying that." You know what I'm saying? You're taking away from. Right. Now he wants to go and. <laughs> And wasn't he also the one that said stuff uh, uh, you never finish a movie you abandon it wasn't that his quote yeah yeah 
apparently he decided he's never going to abandon any of his books. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> I, I, Spielberg did the similar thing with uh, E.T., where they went back and they played around a lot of stuff and they, they took out the rifles. Yeah, and, gave and, him the radios. And... and then he was smart enough. He said, oh, no, it's better to put out the original version, you know, because yeah. there's a certain integrity to the original version of something that you, you just don't feel right if you're watching something that's been mutilated. You know, it takes all the pleasure out of it, you know. And so many films yeah. like that, it's such a delicate balance of elements that makes the difference between being it being awful and it being great. You know, it could be E.T. or it could be Mac and Me, you know, Ronald McDonald dancing around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's just a question of those little decisions you make, right? which direction to go in. And if you go back years later with a completely different mindset and you decide you're going to second guess your own artistic judgment, that's a big stupid mistake to make, I think. You know? And George Lucas was so bad about this, he was actually fucking around with movies like THX 1138 which was a movie that he should have left completely alone. There's no mm -hmm. reason to touch it. He's putting in animated orangutans. And, and the, you know, instead of, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie. Oh, yeah, I've seen it. You know, he has the midgets living and or the small people living in the tunnels around the, mm -hmm. uh, he, he put in uh, orangutans instead of the, the small people. So that uh, Robert Duvall is fighting off the animated <laughs> orangutans. He <laughs> destroys it. Even in American Graffiti, which was, what a, you know, like a perfect film for him. There's really no reason to touch it at all. He has to play around with the sky, puts rain, you know, like rainbow colored sky or cl clouds in the sky in, in some scenes. Why fuck with that? It's perfectly yeah. fine, you know? The reason why it works is because it feels real and you're coming in and you're making all these ridiculous changes, you know? It doesn't work. No. Uh, did you guys ever see The Mist? Oh, yeah. Yes. I like that book. I thought it had tremendous potential. And when I saw the movie, I couldn't figure out why I didn't like it. And I realized it's because it's so studio. It doesn't seem like there's anything that was shot in a real place. And that guy's a very talented director. He's the guy that did the Shawshank Redemption. And he mm -hmm. was one of the ones that worked on Walking Dead. I don't know why he could make such a mistake in realizing what you need is to have reality. It has to, people have to really feel like they're in that uh, supermarket waiting you know with the, while the creatures are all outside and instead everything about the movie is fake everything is cgi and uh, you know missed opportunity because that could have been a that could, movie could have been a doozy altogether i think oh yeah yeah, yeah when oh, you talk about like that. like like character just character like the character that's what that's what it is when i think about jaws the scene where all they're all three just sitting inside the boat <laughs> it's just like that's and the that's, little, what make, that's what makes movies right there. Characters, yes. the actors right. that can take little, that, that takes you out. Of, you know what I'm saying? That puts you in that world. Well, you empathize. This was one of the things I was saying in my little rant today about how Star Wars was a film that was accessible to people. You felt like you knew these characters. You felt like they were friends and you were going on the adventure with them. With the later movies, it's like they're all these sort of comic book type characters. They're, they're unapproachable. And, you know, Luke Skywalker, you fellow, is a guy just like me, right? Small town boy, doesn't have anything to do with any of this. And yet he ends up coming in and saving the day, saving the universe. But the other characters are these sort of unapproachable folks that are connected. Like Lucas started to do this thing where everybody's related to one another, right? Right. Instead of Luke being just a regular guy, instead he's the son of Darth Vader and Leia is his sister and all this sort of stuff. And that takes, it ruins it in my view. It should be regular folks 
having this adventure. Uh, not, you know, folks in uh, the, of the royal lineage. Uh, I don't want to watch that. I don't care about that. And all the movies that he made afterwards, that's all it is. It's like, this one yeah. is related to, who's this one related to? Is that, I, mean, it wasn't, <laughs> I didn't see the later ones, but isn't whether that big question or whether the main character was actually is related to Skywalker? Or right, Skywalker? Yeah, yeah the, the newer the newer ones. Right. Um, I don't you know, know when the mean. Phantom Menace came out, of course, I was like, you know, Darth Maul, that dude looks kick-ass. I mean, you got yeah. spikes on it. You got double freaking, you know, lightsaber, red lightsaber. Look badass, you know? And but there wasn't anybody in the movie to balance him. Like, he's oh, no. like the Darth Vader of the film, right? Yeah. So you need uh, somebody who's likes Han Solo or Luke Skywalker to balance that. You got the unapproachable person. That's sort of a comic booky dramatic figure. But then you need a regular person so that we can empathize with, so we can get become involved in the story. They didn't have that part. No, <laughs> they didn't. I mean, all the people, that, the idea of taking, well, we don't want to talk about Star Wars too much, but yeah, <laughs> I agree with you about, about Jaws. Mm. Uh, I agree with you that one of the brilliant touches in that, and it really shows what a very smart and good director Spielberg is. Oh, yeah. The character that uh, tried to play Cheap Brody, the way they set him up to be kind of a, you know, he's not not incompetent, but like they have a scene where they're walking down a hallway in the police station when they're getting ready to do the press conference, and he bumps his head on the sign that's hanging overhead, right? And then later in the in the in the movie when he's sitting with Quint and, and Hooper and they're all talking about the scars on their legs from the shark bites, and he just briefly glances under his shirt. And they sort of like thinking, should I tell her about my appendix? <laughs> <laughs> and they don't even have him do it. It's just that glance. And I remember seeing that in the theater and the audience just roared when they saw it because they knew exactly what was going on in the guy's mind and they empathized with him. And that made the character real and it made it somebody who was accessible to us. So when he wins at the end, when he's the only guy that wins, just like Luke Skywalker, that makes it that much more dramatic and that much more powerful. But if nowadays it seems like if they did a, a new version of jaws all the guys would be wearing armor and they'd be suiting up and machetes <laughs> yeah. uh, you were gonna fight the sharks you know that doesn't work it's not dramatically interesting anyway i've gone from too long fine you're right though you're yeah. right <clears throat> blood beat at least you can say the characters are accessible right they're nice they're likable yeah. people <laughs> so that's true that's in its favor. yes they are so, <laughs> All right, what so are we... William, what have you been working on recently? Just surviving in these crazy times and, and trying to finish up Sleepless Nights, which I realize has gone on way too long now. Yeah. <laughs> People are beginning to disbelieve me. They, they you, say, just yeah, to, you just got to abandon it. <clears throat> yes, I oh, just God. take George Lucas. <laughs> I had a scare recently with my computer equipment. This is one of the reasons why it's oh, so man. unwise to be doing work on such antiquated equipment. My computer is 15 years old and I didn't even know computers could last that long. And I'm running Final Cut Pro, one of the early versions of Final Cut Pro. That's the only thing I can use to edit this movie because it was originally edited, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, so if I lose this computer, I lose Final Cut Pro and I won't be able to finish the film. So say a prayer. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. If anybody has copies of Final Cut Pro they want to give away. 
Well, that's what I was considering that maybe <laughs> if everything gave up on me, my computer died, maybe I could go and find a vintage computer that just happens to have Final Cut Pro, the version I need installed on. <laughs> yeah, seems unlikely, but maybe. If money, sure, is, sure if money is no object, you probably could get something like that. So instead of people sending me Final Cut Pro, send me money. There you That's go. Yeah. Send money. <laughs> that way you can find. I know I, just I, how I, to use it. I could probably go to a pawn shop right now down the street and get a an yes. old computer that probably has <laughs> Final Cut Pro on it. <laughs> Final Cut Pro on it. Well, it's possible. I was really lucky because the computer I got was a Mac Pro, which probably mm -hmm. was worth a couple of thousand dollars. But because it was so old, uh, the person was willing to give it to me. Awesome. Uh, and it had Final Cut Pro installed on it to begin with. And, uh, oh. So it's an interesting spot to be in. But, right. but I, I feel confident that at some point I'll be able to say Sleepless Nights is now available, at which point people will say, you wasted all your time on this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to watching it. Oh, by the way, I appreciate, I appreciate you guys doing those screenings of Demon Resurrection on uh, B-Movie TV. Because that, oh, that's yeah. Me. No, thank you for you know giving Ken permission to do that to show it on there and yeah, uh, you've had I guess a couple of people. Paul Resso, that guy, yes, yes, he is all. Oh, I mean, he's a big fan of the channel. He's bought like I don't know how many shirts. <laughs> like he's just all about B movie TV, and that was so cool of you to do that and send him a copy. No, it's a pleasure. That's that's exactly the sort of reaction you want to see from people, and also. Um, I'm pulling a blank on his name right now, but he's actually a pretty well-established, very well-established uh, critic. He, he's one of your uh, uh, one of your friends on Big Movie TV. He's one of your, uh, I don't know if he's the administrator of, of the Facebook uh, page. Fred, oh, oh, Fred, oh, Fred, yes, Fred, yeah. Fred. Fred, Fred Aldman, is that his name? Yeah, I Adelman? think so. I, I, we're probably butchering. Sorry, I probably, Fred, I'm sorry, Fred, listens to yes. this. And I just, had, I just had like extensive communications with him and, and I, now I'm forgetting his name. But anyway, he is a significant person because he's been reviewing movies back to yeah. the 80s. He used to have a print publication. So he's a, you know, the fact that he is willing to say nice things about the film, that's tremendous, uh, tremendous plus. And he says he's going to be doing a review of it. So I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that, at which point I will give him his name. I'll get his name correct in yes. <laughs> Facebook posts uh, that I do about it. Yes, it, no, he's he, he's awesome. He's a moderator on the group. That's right, but moderator. He, yeah, um, yeah uh, critical condition online. Critical, right? right. Yeah, that uh, I go there and man, you just learn about different movies. He's just so thorough too. It's a it's a good website. Yeah, I've I've encountered that website many many times over the years as I've been you know doing research about films. And of course, I never, I didn't know the guy behind it, so I didn't make the connection. But then I saw, oh, this is the guy that. Yeah. That. So, so it's a real. Uh, out to it's, it's a nice thing to see, and I, and I appreciate it. It's so, a, it's a movie worth getting out there. I, I still enjoy it. I still oh, love thank it. You. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I had a, another person contact me recently and ask on Amazon what's the difference between the DVD version and the streaming version, and I couldn't really tell them. So I sat down one night and I watched the two of them side by side. Like that. <laughs> And I realized that there really isn't that much difference. <laughs> <laughs> one's high definition and widescreen, and the other one's four by three, but it's pretty much the same movie. So. <laughs> and I thought it played very well that way. I think in future, that's how I'm going to be showing it. So nice. Two, two yeah. films playing side by side. And yeah. <laughs> Make you do like the 3D thing. Yes, it'd be kind of like 3D. 3D glasses. <laughs> work. All right, so Aaron, we mentioned B Movie T. Where where else can everybody find you at? Uh, they call at they call me Mr. Poe on Slasher, Instagram, and Twitter. But 
go to our group 1313 inc um i have a new show the call which i interview different people from different things harry's working on something i'm not going to spoil nothing he's got something going on and that anything that we're doing 1313 go there you'll see everything we're involved in so and we appreciate everybody that's a part of it you guys are putting me to shame with all the stuff you do. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, a, and I announced like six months ago that I was going to try to do my own podcast. It's still <laughs> Man, no, nothing. No, no. You just have it. to do it. You just got to bring do it. it yeah. And I'd love to have you a part of the thirteen thirteen family. Yeah, that's. We'll, uh, we'll I, that. I would. I, I think your philosophy of just doing it is exactly what's missing in me. I'm a procrastinator, and it's no good. I you used to I'm, be, but I was just like, okay, I'm just going to. You're like, <laughs> I wanted to do one. I was like, I really want to do a podcast because I don't have a face for YouTube. But then here I am on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, so I just do. got with Billy at work. Person. I was like, Billy, let's make a podcast. And we record our first episode, and there you go. <laughs> that's that's what you got to do, I guess. I have to ask you, where's the cat? I don't see the cat. Yeah, uh, in the window right now. Well, actually, no, that one left. That one left. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. That's oh, what, when I, when I got, or just left no, the room? when I got up earlier, that's what I did was let her out of the room. The cat got a lot of screen time during the Hammer episode. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you didn't have to pay her extra. Uh, yeah, so. she's a diva now. It's been <laughs> beast forever. Yes. All right, well, this was a fun episode. Uh, William, thanks Fantastic. for coming back. Thank you for having me. Uh, it was way, I know you had problems on your end but it's uh it was way too long you have to now that you've got all that taken care of we have to come on and to do some more of these episodes oh i'd be very happy yes. to yes it's funny actually have... movies we could talk oh about. yeah well i've got another really bad movie that it was kind of in the same vein as this one like i watched it and it had like this weird charm that i loved and it's called the dark power if you've mm. never seen that one oh yeah definitely recommend it's got a uh our uh, hero fights the villain at the end with a whip Oh, nice. So. <laughs> no, I, I like the idea that, that and I'm not going to say nothing. This ain't going to spoil nothing, but I love the idea that you had, William. And yes, I want to cover that. So we got something. Hopefully we we get to do it soon right. on a, another franchise. That's yeah. all. I'll say. <laughs> right. And I, I hope we do that because I sat through all those fucking movies. <laughs> <laughs> And it wasn't easy. Nothing. I also read two books about the franchise. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that there were two books about that franchise. Before. Wow. So, I'll, yeah. I'll look forward to that. I want to ask you a question, Kerry. I one of the suggestions I made, uh, and it's related to the other franchise that we were just talking about, was the Dark Shadows movies. And I noticed that that was the one thing you didn't respond to at all. Do you have something against Dark Shadows? <laughs> No, I don't. It's been a long time since I've really seen any of them, so I know that if I'm going to cover that, that's going to be something I'm going to have to put time oh, into, yeah. leading oh, wow. up to it. Whereas, you know, these movies, I can just, you know, like at this one, I can just sit down and watch it today, you know what I'm saying? But with well, the books, yeah, that's going to be... Well, the reason I wanted to do the Dark Shadows thing is because I finally got to see the Tim Burton movie, and I really needed some place to go to express my grief and my anger and my frustration. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> yeah. well, okay, that's well. I'll watch that movie, and we can just cover that movie first, and then we'll right, go back, like. and or we can do a versus, like you know, the show versus. Well, the TV show, I wouldn't expect you to cover because that was on for like five years, right? <laughs> two thousand episodes. That's gonna be but a long time. They got two movies that they did to begin with, right? Night of the Dark Shadows and House of Dark Shadows, and they have the Tim Burton movie, and really, that's all you need to cover. You don't have to mention the remake series or the pilot that they did or but just those three films 
you know, it's interesting. And it actually ties into what we're talking about here because the first two movies were done in an actual place. Well, that's what we'll location. do. Then. We'll do a versus. Heck yeah. Yes. Original okay. versus Tim Burton's. I've never seen it, but I know it's going to be a hot mess. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, we were talking about Exorcist 2. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is right up to the top of the list. Very, very oh, wow. good. Oh, man. Okay, now i got to see this. I, I maybe, maybe just me. Maybe I don't get the joke, but it just seemed terrible to me. <laughs> but we won't say it anymore. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, again, thanks for coming on here. This was a fun episode. Oh, and, uh, fantastic. Until next week, we will continue to watch The Good, The Bad, and The Cheaply Made. <laughs>